The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. You have access to his throne forever. You have access to his presence forever. Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let no one disqualify you. We hear the same language in Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'll read it for us. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine for, or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Downtown church let no one disqualify you. Your righteousness is not found in your works. It's not found in your good deeds. It's not found in your knowledge or your experiences. Your righteousness is found in Christ alone. And here's my encouragement to us. The thought of being disqualified is scary to us because we know that we could never satisfy God's standard on our own, by our own works. But Jesus satisfies the righteous requirements of God for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And I'm telling you, that means something when life hits the fan. That means something when you have fallen and you don't even believe in yourself anymore. When you don't want to show up at church Sunday morning because of what you did Saturday night. When you're reminded of your past, when you fall short and you don't live up to your standards and the standards of other people, that means something. That you've been given a righteousness that cannot be taken away. Friends, our self-salvation strategies are worthless. They are absolutely worthless. And our self-righteousness stinks to God. Our self-perceived good works get in the way of us having a real intimate relationship with God. It's our, it's our self-righteousness that makes us stiff-arm God and say that I really don't need grace. And I definitely don't need grace as much as that next person. These false teachers are trying to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says it is finished. He doesn't need our help to save us. My righteousness is found in Christ alone. Not my knowledge, my good deeds, and my experiences. And the second point is this. Spiritual growth 
and maturity comes from God and is sustained by God. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting upon asceticism. What is asceticism? It's not a word that we use in our common vernacular, but it's in our text, so we have to deal with it. What is asceticism? Asceticism is intense self-denial. It's that I'm going to abuse myself and beat myself up in some kind of way in order to have a religious experience or grow closer to God in some kind of way. That's, that's asceticism. It literally could get bloody. Right, people would beat them, and this still happens in other parts of the world, and even in America. People uh, beat themselves until they bleed and, and cut themselves and starve themselves. In a lot of texts, uh, it, it's likely that uh, these false teachers were starving themselves and beating themselves and then having hallucinations and having visions. And then they would go run and tell the Colossians, man, we, we, we beat ourselves and starved ourselves and we have these visions of these angels worshiping God. And if you haven't experienced that, well, you're a JV Christian, right? You, you, you're not really on our level. But if you want to grow, if you want to go to the next level, if you want to grow, this is what you got to do. You got you to starve yourself and beat yourself and practice asceticism and then uh, you'll be on our level. Beat yourself up, wear yourself out. Uh, friends, this is the 21st century, Memphis, Tennessee. I don't think we're beating ourselves over the back and flogging ourselves and, uh, and all that stuff. We, we're far too cute and sophisticated for all of that, right, to be starving ourselves out here and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we live in a society that is obsessed with the perception of success, with the perception of growth, uh, with the perception of, of having it together and getting to the next level and achieving the next thing. And, and I have a feeling that we do know a thing or two about beating ourselves up. And that may not be false teachers telling you to starve yourself and flog yourself. But there's a culture saying that you don't measure up and that you need to be more and do more and know more and experience more or be declared invalid and canceled and unsuccessful, God forbid. So we want to grow, right? We want our children uh, to achieve. We want, we want to be successful. We might even want to be spiritually successful. And more than anything, we want to appear successful. So we compare our losses to other people's wins on social media. And the depression rate has skyrocketed, skyrocketed by about like 60% or something over the last eight or nine years. I wonder why, right? We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people all day long. So we want to measure up. We want to win. So what do we do? We pull out the house rules again. We go back to our legalistic tendencies. We might, we might believe that we're saved by grace, but we think we got to grow by all these other different tactics. And that leads us back to our house rules. They're supposed to lead, lead us to winning. So here, here goes some more. This is how we grow. Send your kids to that school or fail. Read this book or be left out. I don't want to talk to you unless you read this book. Everybody in my circle got to read this book to get woke. Listen to this album. It will change your life. Eat this diet or you're going to die in five years. Have this body or be shamed. 
Y'all, it gets crazy. Eat this, it will change your life. Read this, it'll change your life. Try this podcast, it'll change your life. Drink this, go to this seminar. You got to go to this conference. You got to go to this retreat. You have to join this small group. You have to start this reading plan. Got to get a subscription to this YouTube channel. Watch this documentary. Look at this video. Click on this link. Join this group me chat. Oh, my gosh. Join this club. Be at church eight days a week or you're not serious about your relationship with God. You got to lose weight and gain weight all at the same time. Be discipled by this person. Start this class. Stop watching TV, but you got to see this show. Oh, my goodness. I'm about to have an anxiety attack just, just, just reading it. But here's how you answer all of that. It's a powerful word. No. <laughs> That's a word uh, that some of us need to learn. And you might lose a friend or you might lose a job even. Uh, Yeah, you can't do everything all the time. You can't be everywhere all the time. And you're not expected to do that because you're not God. But we kill ourselves trying to live up to our expectations of success and other people's expectations of success. And we try to do everything to live up to everybody's expectations. And I'm here with you. Hi, my name is Terrence. I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm, I'm right there with you, right? And it can get hard. And people are going to assume that they know what's best for you. But you got to learn how to say no, right? I know uh, people in their 30s, who feel like they haven't achieved uh, everything that a person is supposed to experience in their 30s. I don't know who wrote that book, by the way, on everything you're supposed to experience by the time you're 30, but they need to stop publishing that because it's like killing people, right? Uh, I know people in their 20s who are beating themselves up because they feel like life has passed them by because they're not a millionaire yet, right? And so they're frustrated. And Generation Z, the teenagers, like I really love you and I really care about you, and I couldn't imagine being a teenager right now, where your life is public, uh, any mistake can, can, can be on a screenshot or a video, uh, and, and everybody's always watching your, your every mistake. It's like learning how to drive in front of the whole neighborhood, and everybody's just watching every mistake that you make, and man, I, I, I like literally, uh, I, 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 I empathize with you uh, for what you guys uh, have to, to go through. You know, you're worried about the GPA. You're worried about getting into that school. You're worried about uh, what somebody said on social media. And you're comparing yourself uh, to everybody. And, and you're trying to be like N.L.E. Chopper and flex on the gram. Only the teenagers probably know who N.L.E. Chopper is. <laughs> but you feel all this pressure, right, to keep up with all of this stuff. And I know you're stressed. I know I've been youth pastor for a while. I know you're stressed. It's a hard time to be a kid in, in the 21st century. Uh, but God wants you to grow, and he has a healthy way for you to grow. God cares more about your growth than you do. And God cares more about your growth than all those people who have all those expectations and plans for your life do. And he, he cares about your inner life. He cares about your soul. He actually uh, does love you and cares about the condition of your, of your heart. So there are two types of growth. There's two types of growth. 
uh, there's the growth you get when you grow a pile of bricks. We might have that picture. You have a pile of bricks. Uh, A pile of bricks can grow rather quickly. You just, you want something to grow, all right? You want to grow. You want the thing you're trying to do to grow. Just, you can grow it like that, just this pile of bricks, and it just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, hey, you you grew a pile of bricks, but the the pile of bricks isn't alive. It's not connected to anything, but you grew something that gives the perception of success and growth and pat yourself on the back. Your pile of bricks, right? It's not alive. And when you're trying to grow yourself like that with all these self-help books and podcasts and blah, 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 you end up just like that dead pile of bricks. But then there's a second way to grow something. Uh, This is the good growth. It's the growth you get uh, when you grow a tree. It starts with a seed and you put it in the soil and you have to tend to it and water it. And guess what? It actually is alive and it actually is connected to something. And it might not grow as quick as the pile of bricks. And your friend may be posting his pile of bricks on social media, and oh my gosh, and you, you're tempted to do the same thing because you just, you just want something. But God says, I'm going to water that, and I'm going to water you, and I'm going to develop you, and I'm going to disciple you, and I'm going to grow you and pour into you. He cares about your growth. He, he wants that type of alive growth in our lives. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. It's okay. You can calm down. You don't have to read all that stuff and go to all those places and force a relationship to work and all that jazz in order to appear like something is happening. The false teachers had thought that they had found a shortcut to grow fast and experience all these awesome things but they weren't connected to Jesus, so they weren't growing at all. They were just a pile of bricks. Verse 19, Paul says, the false teachers are puffed up. They're proud of their pile of bricks. But he says, they were not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body is nourished. They weren't connected to Jesus. They missed Jesus, so they missed everything. Spiritual growth and maturity comes from God, and it's sustained by God. And lastly, Lasting unity and reconciliation uh, is found in Christ alone. Lasting unity and reconciliation is found in Christ alone. These false teachers had divided the church with with all their plans and their their strategies and their legalism and their growth schemes and their house rules. But they had taken their attention off of the the essentials. They had taken their attention off of Christ. And they had taken all these other people's attention off of Christ. Verse 19, it says, they're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is what? From God. The, 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 let's, let's break that down a little bit. Who is the head? That's Jesus, right? Uh, who is the body? That's the church. And we can, we can just stop at that. Uh, Christ is the one who saves his church and grows his church and holds his church together. And apart from Christ, we are just a bunch of misfit, misplaced, disorganized bones that have no business together. But in Christ, we are knit together. He's the one who holds his church together and brings his church together. The church is a miracle. (laughs) It's a miracle. 
we, we come from all these different places and backgrounds and experiences, and the fact that we can be in community and love one another is an absolute miracle. There are people that I know here at Downtown Church that I don't know, I probably wouldn't know if it wasn't for Christ. He, he brings us together and knits us together and holds us together. So in a day when the church is kind of paralyzed right now, 2019 uh, is kind of paralyzed and polarized and confused and divided, uh, we need to get our eyes on King Jesus. We need to get our eyes on the essentials. Because we're killing each other when we're not. When we're trying to beat each other up with our house rules and uh, uh, make our ideas and our thoughts become scripture and law for other people. Uh, we're killing each other with that. And so we will disagree, but it's about how we disagree. And Paul is warning the false teachers, and dare I say, he, he is warning us uh, that we need to keep our eyes on King Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on the, on the essentials because Jesus is enough. He, he, he's enough uh, to save you. He's enough to keep you and grow you, and he is enough to keep his church intact. He is enough. And as we close and as the band comes, I just want to remind us that Jesus is enough. Jesus doesn't need your help, but he does want your heart. Uh, a friend of mine recently told me a story about when he, uh, he went to, to Israel. And if you're familiar with, the, uh, with Israel, there's something called the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is really dense. It's really dense. So you can, like, just lay back and float. Uh, you don't really have to even know how to swim. I, I can, like, barely swim, right? So I'd be happy about the Dead Sea. Uh, and so my friend, he can't swim. And so he went to Israel, and he was in the, in the Dead Sea. And he said he, he, he laid back, and he began to float in the shallow end. But his friends was like, hey, man, why don't you come out here to the deep end with us? Where, the, where it's like a, a, a deep, it's not as shallow, right? You, you can't touch the bottom with your feet. And so he, he goes out there and, and can't swim. Uh, but as he goes deeper, he begins to panic and kick and splash and, and all of that jazz. And he told me he had forgotten the fact that the water was strong enough to hold him. Just because he had gone out a little deeper, he forgot that that water was strong enough to hold him, that it was sufficient to hold him. And I just want to encourage us that no matter what we're going through, it's the same grace, it's the same grace that was with you in the shallow end. It'll be the same grace as you go through the tougher parts of life. God's grace is sufficient for you. It can hold you up. Jesus is enough for you. He doesn't need your help to save you. He doesn't need your help to keep you. He, he's with you, and he can sustain you, and you can rest in that reality. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name, just thanking you for your grace and for your love. God, you are enough. You can hold us up. We don't have to panic and kick and splash and come up with ways to try to save ourselves because we think we're going to perish. God, help us to remember your saving grace. God, help us remember that we were dead in our trespasses. We had nothing to offer, nothing to give. God, we were dead at the bottom <laughs> of the lake, and you, and you pulled us up. God, let us not forget that. 
Let us not think that we're saving ourselves or saving other people, but we're saved by grace, through faith, not by works, so that none of us can boast. We thank you and we love you. It's in your mighty son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us continue worshiping our God through giving.